Hello, I'm Graham King and welcome to Headbolt, a podcast in which I speak to interesting people about cars. This week, my guest is a highly respected motoring writer and author of no less than 50 books, Giles Chapman. Hello, Giles. Graham, hello. Thank you very much for having me. Not at I'm all. I'm going to correct you immediately, though, because it's 55, not 50. 55. Wow. Even better. <laughs> even better. Now, I, I, I don't know if uh, the leaders are going to be particularly familiar with your uh, back catalogue, so I noted down a few of them that I'll just run through. Uh, there's the uh, Cars We Loved series, which uh, takes uh, in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s. There's Cars on Film, the Ford Capri story, the Essential Book of Car Facts and Trivia, the Jaguar story, the Mini story, Mini 60 Years, my dad had one of those, the car book, Britain's Toy Car Wars, the Range Rover story, the story of the car, the worst cars cars ever sold in britain how to make money at car boot sales cars that time forgot which i think was your first one and i had um mad cars and uh uh your latest book that's coming out later this year uh jaguar century a hunt jaguar century a hundred years of automotive excellence Forgive me for asking a fairly simple question but that's an incredibly varied back catalogue where do your ideas come from well i mean thank you for reading them all out it does it sounds just like the death of a forest the way, you, <laughs> the way you, um, which i i have to sort of apologize um and also you know in your introduction I, I um i think for years i called myself a journalist but now i i do realize i probably am an author Mm. And it, it all happened by a, a slow process of uh, a, a kind of transition, really, from being um, the guy with a notebook uh, filling uh, features in news pages in magazines and newspapers. And sort of um, be before I know it, I'm not, I'm not really doing so much of that any longer. Mm. And um, it, I, never, I never really sort of set out to be the author of all this stuff. Um, yeah. But where, where it began, really, uh, was back in around 2001. I've been writing a, um, a weekly column for the Daily Telegraph called um, uh, Cars That Time Forgot. Mm -hmm. And as ever with a lot of my things, uh, you know, I, I sort of thought of the title first, you know, back in the late 90s and just... I pitched this to the Telegraph and I said, well, you know, every week I could come up with some car that we'd all forgotten about or we think is a bit silly or interesting and just do you a little uh, picture and caption. Um, and in the business, we call this page furniture mm -hmm. in, in newspapers because you, you know, you dot them all over the place and they're, they're there every week. And what you hope is people look forward to, um, you know, to that thing every week. A bit like if you read Private Eye, it's yeah. stuff with all these things that you go to because you always read that and you read this. So I created this little entity and um, I got a phone call one day from a publisher saying, hello, Giles, you don't know me, but I like your little column. Do you think you'd have enough for a book? Hmm. And as I'd already done about a hundred of these, I, I, I put on this pretense of sort of going, well, I don't know. <laughs> uh see what i can do and so on so i so the first thing was a uh, was i gathered you know my existing work into this book um mm -hmm. which then 
um, as you very kindly uh, pointed out, had had the sort of title in, in book form, and and that that sort of got got me going. Um, it was not too authorly; it was a sort of packaging job, if you like. Mm-hmm. And then that that led on to uh, uh, for the same publisher a, a few little books afterwards, which I would call. Um, well, I mean, you know, they're, they're little collections of things under a title, you know, Mad Cars. Yeah. Um, I did one called Fast Cars, which I think I found in a way the sort of, you know, the least interesting to do because yeah. it had 50, 80 cars in it. And, you know, after you've said, oh, my God, this car's so fast, you know, yeah. it hurts your neck as it, accelerate, as it accelerates and so on. Um, to do that repeatedly is quite dull. Yeah, yeah. In my uh, so they weren't some, um, uh, the ones I did as a follow-up really were sort of little, again, little, uh, not so much my ideas or my concepts, but just stuff I got offered. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a jobbing writer, anything that comes along, um, you know, if I'm not too busy, I'll probably say yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and then um, I, I'd done a few of these things and, and um, I, I was some, um, this is the classic thing of being in the bath, you know, sort of bubble bath up to your, up to your neck, rubber duck floating <laughs> about, just, just sort of thinking. And um, that's where I, um, I, I got that phrase, my dad had one of those. Yeah. And uh, this is something that, I, you know, of course, if you've been involved in classic cars or any kind of old cars, you hear it all the time. Yeah. Every event you go to, you know, if people don't say it to you directly, you can hear it sort of left of left of the stage or whatever. Mm. It's what people say when people see cars around. And I was just lying there thinking, oh, just that would be, that's a good title for a book. Mm-hmm. I sort of leapt out of the bath, ran downstairs with nothing on, you know, sort of <laughs> water all over the air carpet, <laughs> uh, grabbed, a, grabbed a pen, wrote it down. And then I sort of looked it up later, fully expecting that, um, you know, it had gone. Yeah. Somebody had already done something. Um, so I, I, I then decided to, uh, you know, to, to what, would a, what would a book with that title be, or be about if it was about cars? It would have to be um, quite loving and affectionate. Mm-hmm. And it would inevitably be about um, you know dads, but that's a very big spectrum, isn't it? Yeah. So you know you know you can be a dad at sort of twenty or eighty. So yeah. where was my where was my sort of span going to be of interest? And I sort of pitched it roughly from dads who probably done national service in the fifties to early eighties dads who were just working in IT, let's say. So like, like yeah. a thirty or forty year span, and. Um, uh, and then I got going on the picture research and I, I, I just thought, you know, you've got to have dadly kind of characters in all the photographs. It's got to exude it, but not um, do the thing which I'm not too keen on, which is sort of taking the piss out of middle-aged blokes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> because, you know, we all know when you get one of those um, Father's Day cars, which focuses on, uh, well, you know, your sort of increasing girth or, you know... <laughs> thinning hair or whatever it happens to be it's sort of funny but you just laugh along with the family thinking well thanks a lot <laughs> yeah I, I might have been guilty of giving my dad a few of those cards over the years <laughs> well you know you know so, so I, I i wanted it to be um uh, a thing that was, was so warm and um nostalgic so um 
you know, so 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 to me, a lot of the work in that book was in the pictures. Yeah. Because um, there's an awful lot of material to look at, and uh, you know, so many photographs are just sort of car going along a road or car on a gravel drive with a nice house behind it or so on. And these all had to have harassed looking men surrounded by kids, dogs, yeah. you know, Sainsbury's in the background, um, you know, stuff from B&Q in the boot, all that kind of thing. All the kind of stuff that us dads do at the weekend with our, yeah. our, our family. Um, sorry, anyway, I'm going on about this quite a lot. But this, this, <laughs> this for me was my, it was my breakthrough book because it was a, it was a concept uh, that, that had an awful lot of me in it yeah, and a yeah. lot of material that I, I was able to sort of curate and, uh, you know, work on for what I wanted. And, um, and I decided to take this along to the BBC uh, who owned the Top Gear trademark and, and yeah. I pitched it to them and said, oh, we, we do this as a Top Gear book. Um, and um, they said yes, but there was a condition, and that was that I had to. Uh, would I be interested in co-authoring it mm -hmm. uh, with uh, a guy I'm sure you know called Smith Petrel? Yeah, Richard Porter. Exactly. So who'd done a few books for them? He done it. He'd done a. Um, I think he did a book called Crap Cars, and I'd done the pictures on that one for him. Yeah. So I knew him quite well. And my initial reaction to this was, well, just a minute. You know, I've, this is my idea. This is my this is my title, this is my concept and everything. And after about five seconds of feeling aggrieved, I just thought, hmm, he's pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> and also, in this world, it is, it is sometimes better to have half of something than all of nothing. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, so, so and it is, it, is, it is the devil's own job to pitch a book to people you don't know. Yeah. So for all authors, if you if you if you don't have an agent or you haven't got an in somewhere, uh, you are literally firing arrows at the uh, the castle ramparts in an effort to you know get over the drawbridge mm. on it. So so um, I was handed this you know what turned out to be lovely working partnership with Richard and um, and on our book um, uh, because it was very much a, a joint effort on the words. But um, you know, I'm delighted to say, after all of that um, process, uh, it, it's done extremely well, and we've sold yeah. about two hundred thousand copies. Which, which is quite a lot for for that sort of car book, really, isn't it? Um, yes, I mean, I mean, a, a sort of Clarkson book or a a, a a Top Gear sort of tie-in obviously does quite well yeah. from that point. We never had a tie-in on TV with this title. But um, the book is amazingly still in print after 15 years. I mean, I just, I just can't believe it still sells, but it does. And I think yeah. it's because, you know, all the, all the planets were aligned on it, if you, if you know what I mean. The, the title worked, um, uh, the content was nice, uh, and if you bothered to read any of it, it was quite entertaining. And I, I don't say that to flatter myself. You know, I, I, I very much sort of bow down to Richard, yeah. kiss the feet of, uh, of excellence and so on. Uh, so, you know, it got me, I think from that point on, uh, and this is terribly long-winded, I'm, I'm sorry about this, but it, it got me to, um, if you like, conceptualise a, a lot of the book projects I work on. Yeah. And come up with a with a sort of, um, 
ingredient X, if you like, to the title and what's in it. Yeah. That are, that, well, two things. I'm going to enjoy it because I think I'm, I'll be writing something that isn't already out there. Yeah. And, um, you know, the, the challenge as ever is to try and do something which is, you know, sustains your interest, but does, you know, does, does have an immediate connection with, with, with people. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I would not be interested in somebody saying, well, would you like to write a, you know, a, a 200 page sort of mark book on BMW M power cars? Yeah. I, I just couldn't do that. I, I, I couldn't, I, I, I would be, I would be a hostage to that subject for for all the months that I'd have to be in a darkened room writing it. Yeah. Um, and I wouldn't, you know, at the end of it, I'd sort of feel, well, this is going to be great for the people who just like that stuff. But I'm, I'm not, I'm not, you know, getting out there and doing something um, a bit, a bit different. So, 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 so that has sort of underscored a lot of the things I've, I've done since then. Um, and it's, 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 uh, a lot of it is sort of thinking around the subject. I'm a specialist in, in that I write about cars and not just, you know, not politics and yeah. relationships. But I want to get what I do out to as many people as possible. So, so you know, it's a, it's, it's a, tricky, it's a tricky one. Um, yeah. And so, the, 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 sorry. Um, I was going to say, so, um, the, the idea for uh, my dad had one of those um, came to you in the bath. Um, where, where did um, Cars We Loved uh, come from? Was that just sort of thinking about um, sort of a, a, a particular set of cars and sort of thinking how, how you could package it together? Well, actually, no. It was, it was even more basic than that. Uh, and it was really... I, uh, I can't... I, I might have been in the bath, I might have been walking in the park, but I suddenly thought there doesn't seem to be anything about books that are tied together by a, a single decade. Yeah. And particularly with cars in it that are not of the sort of Ferrari and Lamborghini and uh, uh, sort of um, upper supercar end of things. You yeah. know, 70 supercars is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a book full of very relatable cars bound together by all being in one decade. Now you would think, I'm sure, uh, and I think I did the first one of these about um, 10 years ago, you would, you would think that had been done, wouldn't you? Yeah. You know, just as a concept, it's so simple. Mm. Uh, and once again, I sort of, I had a look around on Amazon and I sort of looked at all the books I've got here in my office and, and just nobody had done it. Yeah. In that way. So, so it, uh, the, the, the heading, the title of the book was something that, that I, I spend a lot of time thinking about, you know, usually what I'll do with these things is sit down with a pad of paper and a cup of tea and just not move until I've written at least 10 or 15 title treatments. Mm. Because if I get the right title, you know, I'll, it, it galvanizes and then no doubt I'll show my wife and she'll pick the one that I don't like. Yeah. And then I'll go with that. Yeah. So when you've uh, when you've got the idea and the title you're going to work from, um, how do you actually then go about um, deciding which cars uh, go in it? Do you make a big long list and then go and see what um, uh, images and material you can find about them and sort of whittle it down? Um, well, um, yes and no. I mean, before before uh, you know, I was. Uh, 
in you know involved in books i'd worked on car magazines for many many years i, I started on classic and sports car in 1985 mm. so i was quite in at the beginning of classic classic car magazines yeah and then i worked auto car for a bit and i've been freelancing for all sorts of magazines and papers so i've got a lot of stuff just in the head to do mm. with where cars go what goes with what you know I, you know i the amount I know is probably frightening. Um, so I, I, don't, I don't have to make a, I don't have to make a great long list as you, as you, as you uh, suggest, but I do have to make quite a long list because for me, I, I'm uh, with those books. I'm sort of saying we won't, we will, we will start with all the best sellers. Yeah. It won't be the usual sort of motoring journalist thing of sort of saying, God, I'm so bored of hearing about sort of Ford Fiestas that I'm going to ignore them and then just, only write about the Capri 3100 RS mm. because it's the one fast and amazing. You know, sort of there's a, there's a tendency to sort of not want to deal with the other things because they're too, uh, they're too every day. Yeah. Whereas, you know, I, I, I pictured the typical person buying this book is probably not the person who's going to own it. It's probably somebody who's going to get it for a difficult to buy for chap. Yeah. You know, brother or dad or whatever. And when they see it, you know, the the, uh, the heading of the book, Cars We Loved in the 1960s, they sort of think, oh, well, dad's always going on about cars in the 1960s, yeah. or my brother, yeah. or whatever. It, it just, um, it, it, it just to have a, a, a very simple connection with, with what's in it. And therefore, I think when you open it, it's got to, it's got to treat all the stuff that we all knew every day. Mm. Might, not have been might, have, might not have been exotic, might not have had twin camshafts, um, you know, might even have been borderline joke mobile, the Austin yeah. Maestro, whatever. Um, so, my, so, so I know, and I know my list isn't really going to go beyond an XJ6. Yeah, because you know, in in the real world, everything above that is so is so unbelievably top end and rare. Yeah. <laughs> You know, I, I did a, I did an amazing survey when I used to edit a magazine called Your Classic, which was uh, something I did at Haymarket. Mm -hmm. And we, we, we gave away lots of prizes to people who filled in a questionnaire about what they, what car they liked. Mm -hmm. So we said, you know, a, a budget of 10 grand, what classic car would you have? And you can imagine most of the, um, most of the responses were things like Triumph Stag, Jaguar yeah. Mark II. This is a bit of, a bit way back you know yeah yes yeah. and then the second question is what car would you have money no object yeah and virtually nobody put lamborghini mura they all put things like a really nice triumph stag <laughs> a, really, a really peachy mark ii yeah. so there's 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 um there isn't much difference between what people can um actually aspire to realistically and what they would go for um if they got a 20 million lottery win. Yeah. You see what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So, 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 so I, I just, in, in the books I did about the decades, I thought, well, there's going to be a bit of a supercar, a bit of a dream car element in here, but that'll just be a little insert chapter. I yeah. won't let that ruin the run of Vauxhall Astras, <laughs> <laughs> Triumph, Triumph Dolomites, and all the other crap that we all had. And, you know, we can all, we can all relate to it. Relating to the content to me was very, very important. And, yeah, um, and it's, it's, you know, 
I find it a nice one to um, flick through. I've I've had a, I don't think I've had the full set, but I've I've got a couple of them on the shelf, um, and it's just wow. nice to sort of flick through them um, and alight on something. You're like, oh, I'd completely forgotten about that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I I will narrow it down to fifty cars, and that does take you know a couple of days of sort of you know you tend to start with about hundred and twenty, and you mm. you strike them and you get down to the awkward squad of the last 10 that you've got to lose yeah and it's a it's a very interesting exercise because you know you might you might say well what what's going to which one's going to get the bullet the opal manta Mm. or the austin metro yeah and unfortunately it has to be the manta that goes because you think well even at the time you didn't really see many mantas when when they're around but you bloody saw metros everywhere you know now you don't see any so so that so they're both in the same category of having that they're, they're the disappeared these cars mm. um, so i will whittle it right the way down to, to that 50 and and then i know i'm going to have most of the pictures in my collection already so mm-hmm. um uh, but in in the size and the format as, as i'm sure you know if you've got a couple um you know over a spread there's room for I don't know, 250 words and a couple of little panels of info, two or three pictures. I mean, that is loads of material for a book of that size. Mm. Um, and, you know, s- sort of that, that kind of thing. And then the actual sitting down and writing it, it takes a surprisingly long time to do. Yeah. Because I'm not carrying around in my head what the, uh, you know, what the Mazda 323 was actually like. I can't yeah. remember. I mean, I might have done one. But, you know, chances are it was one of those mediocre Japanese cars with light steering that if you if you ever drove it, you thought, great, but I'll give it back to my mum, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so, to, so to go through a book, you know, the, it's a, a, I tend to write them, I will write them in, in the list that they'll, they'll appear. And you, you're, you're about 10, 10 cars in and, and dealing with another front wheel drive hatchback yeah (laughs) how can i say something different about this so um i always feel i reach a sort of dead spot at about um three fifths of the way in where the where the where the entertainment value just falls away it seems to come back at the end but i'll always then when i when i do the final rewrite i'll always be concentrating on that just past the middle point where i'm thinking now the readers are going to tell that your enthusiasm is waning here (laughs) (laughs) yeah so, so you know it, it has to it has to sort of sustain um uh, the the sort of entertainment value because i am i'm providing most of all entertainment diversion i'm i'm not producing um the ultimate um you know crowwood guide to any one car with all those all those data sections and things at the back you know this is yeah this, this is Something I'd like to I'd like to think if you if you cared to read it all the way from the beginning to the end that you would still feel that it was meaty. Mm. But I know in my heart of hearts people are going to flick through it, you know, and the captions therefore are quite important and so on because that's often, you know, despite what we authors make of our of our craft, yeah, you know, people are people and they look through and they read the headlines and they look at the captions and if if you've um, uh, you know if you if you've caught someone's attention for a few minutes you've you've done your job <laughs> you know i'm yeah. not being i'm not being too pretentious about it i i know that that you know it's not it's it's not that i'm producing what i would ever regard as a masterpiece but actually the 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 
sorry, I'm not trying to flatter myself here either. But actually, <laughs> the, the, the putting together of it does involve quite a bit of sort of thought to make it as easy to consume as I hope it is. Does, does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And, and, yeah. and I, I know that, you know, amongst my peers, they might, they might look at my work and sort of think, oh, you know, terminally dull because it's not, it's not about um, supercars or, you know, heroic cornering or anything mm. like that. Uh, but of course it isn't, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, it's quite refreshing, um, really, when you come across a book like the Cars We Loved series, because I mean, Yes, it doesn't go into talk about any of the supercars, but quite frankly, you can pick up pretty much any one of the major classic car magazines off the uh, off the Smiths off the shelves in Smiths, um, and they're probably going to have something. One of them will have something about a Lamborghini or a Ferrari or whatever, you know, whatever Italian supercar you care you care to mention, but they're not going to have um uh you know eight page spread on the montego or the cavalier or whatever and it's it's just nice to uh see something sort of uh a bit light-hearted and a bit um affectionate and sort of not taking it too seriously about about those more prosaic cars yes well well i mean i can tell you that i have worked on several books where I've been um, a sort of consultant or a, a person to help the author mm. or to in some cases rewrite what is there or add stuff in and this is often on very top-end multi-million pound collector's items and, yeah um, uh, I, I often you know trying to sustain my interest over one after another 1950s and 60s race reports yeah. detailing what happened the sh the changes to the chassis the fact that this engine was taken out and that other engine went in i mean it's okay mm. um but that is you know that is a a very important area of motoring history but it's it has quite narrow appeal because the the cars are are, are so rare of, yeah. in, in that in that kind area you 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 know esoteric is the word okay? yeah it's it's not that it's 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 not that it's not important it's just that it, the level of interest in that very narrow thing mm. um uh is something which i i respect but i i i find hard to um uh, to sort of warm to and i i think often you know particularly with motor racing writing and history uh the you know, it suffers from train spotter syndrome. It's sort of all yeah. the race results, and all the brake horsepower figures, and the you know all the stuff. And you 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 you're just longing to sort of get in the crowd and talk to the drivers' wives about what yeah. they really like. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, he's such an asshole! This bloke, racing cars, racing cars, racing cars. <laughs> um, so, you know, but, but, I mean, I I I generally I I. Because of my the type of person I am, I, I can find interest in almost you know everything. And and to mm. me, uh, cars with context is just as interesting as cars with engineering or yeah. cars with race results or, um, you know what I mean. You know, yeah, I, yeah. I, I sort of I can I'm, I'm a very broad based person, and and a lot of the stuff the writing and journalism I do is more often than not interview based. So you yeah. know, you're 
you're, you're there with your questions with somebody who you're trying to engage with and who you you know i always hope that there's going to be this sort of silence after you've asked them something and then they sort of start biting their fingernails and go oh that's a good question i hadn't mm. thought of that before and when yeah. i when somebody says that to me that is just so great because you just think well i'm going to get something that you weren't prepared to answer then which is yeah. lovely because you know there's nothing worse than interviewing the the chairman of a car company who's been PR'd to death and he's just going to give you, you know, verbal press releases. It's yeah. so depressing. So, you know, I'm just, um, I'm interested in so much different varied stuff uh, that, um, uh, sorry, I can't remember why I even went down this road now. I'm just, I'm probably <laughs> wrong. But in, in, term, in terms of my output of books, um, the, the books that I've done often have lots of, um, aspects which are a bit different to other stuff yeah um so uh, you know that's how i make it through the day <laughs> yeah yeah that, that, absolutely absolutely you mentioned um earlier um sort of wh when you're putting these books together um and looking for pictures you, you've you've probably already got the image have, have, have you got quite a lot quite a large um, archive of all this uh, of all this material well, yes, I have. I mean, I've got, uh, I must be probably about half a million pictures. Wow. Um, in sort of, uh, of the form of uh, black and white and colour prints, colour transparencies. Uh, I've got a lot of stuff on memory sticks and DVDs from things I've done. I've got, you know, mountains of material. And I've been collecting this, um, you know, ever since I was really a teenager, mm. um, uh, my dad was a journalist on a newspaper called the Grimsby Evening Telegraph, and I grew yeah. up there. And he used to sit opposite. He did um, like a sort of local history and gossip thing every week, and he sat opposite a bloke called Brad Roberts, who was the uh, motoring correspondent for the paper. And, mm. you know, in those pre-internet days, every paper had their own like motoring bloke and he used to produce yeah. like 22 pages on a Thursday you know with all the local dealer ads and the sort of you know the whatever road tests you know yeah he lived a sort of international jet set lifestyle this bloke but you know he was always <laughs> back writing his Grimsby's Telegraph supplement every week <laughs> None of it anymore. They, you know nowadays all the all the regional papers have one guy who writes yeah. stuff for all of them and he probably can't afford to go on any launches yeah. Uh, but anyway, my, my dad used to sit opposite Brad and every day, you know, this guy would get a pile of press releases and photographs in from all the manufacturers, great mm. big elaborate projects and so on. And after he'd written his stuff, you know, it would all go in the bin. Yeah. And my dad used to empty the waste paper basket for me of all this stuff. And on a Friday, he'd bring home a big box of stuff and go, here's all the stuff from Brad's, Brad's bin. <laughs> so I was, yeah, I, I got all these, um, I got all this material when I and that I was about sort of 14 or 15 then and then um you know I, I worked on various magazines and we were sent it all as well and I, I've always been a person who um you know I, I sort of recognized quite early on that pictures are often the the key to everything mm. you know, we're, we're a very visual society so I, I started to you know collect the stuff and I worked at Haymarket on Autocar and things like that they were continually moving offices and just throwing things away. So yeah. I, I would come back to the office about half past eight in the evening, you know, nip around the back of the building where the skip was overflowing with stuff <laughs> and, you know, fill, fill the car up and take it away. And so I, 
um, and when I went freelance, I thought, well, this is, this is a useful resource. So uh, if I just had, you know, one picture of every car, mm. if I could aim for that, that would be very useful to, you know, as you said earlier, to package up um, uh, my work, my written work with some pictures. Yeah. Because it's a bit more a bit more useful to commission if you can sort the pictures out as well you know your editors love you because you take two problems off their hands yeah uh, so um i, I and then and then i started to think well i've got a picture of the renault dauphine but it's a bit boring i'd really like one of it on the champs elysees with a sort of you know a night shoot with a couple yeah. of people in the background <laughs> <laughs> so i used to i used to, i went through a period of, of I used to go to a place called Poop's Motor Books uh, yeah. near Leicester. And, you know, he had just filing cabinets full of pictures. And I'd spend a happy day there going through the stuff, you know, making a little pile of things I hadn't got. And then I started buying collections. And then some journalists I knew retired and they just gave me stuff, you know. So in the end, um, I, I ended up with a sort of like a really good collection. But all my pictures are ones that have been issued by the manufacturers. Mm. And... Um, they are uh, all this. All this material is is generated by the car industry, and it's free to use so long as you use it um, for editorial purposes. Yeah. So you know, if I wanted to stop making um, Ford Capri T-shirts, I couldn't just scan a press photo and use that on the front because I'd be yeah. producing merch, and that's not allowed. Yeah. But if you want to use any of this stuff in uh, books. Um, uh, magazines, newspapers, TV, anything. So long as it's editorial, that's absolutely fine. So, yeah. um, so all my material I can sort of draw on and then um, I, I've sort of stopped acquiring anymore because <laughs> I, I've, I've sort of run out of space. Yeah. And also <laughs> over, the last, <laughs> over the last sort of 10 or 15 years, the material doesn't really exist in... Um, it, it exists in different media. Yeah, whenever uh, you go on a press launch these days, you just get handed a memory stick of stuff rather than exactly. a, a, a physical press pack. And you don't even need that because if you go onto the manufacturers' websites or news press that all us hacks use, you know, it's just groaning with all the latest things. I mean, the quality of um, the, the book I've just written about 100 years of Jaguar, I mean, the last... 30 years i didn't have to go to any other picture sources for amazing material you know they yeah. they, they employ phenomenal photographers who produce acres of great great pictures everything you could ever want mm. but when you start going back into the pre-digital era and let's say you want a picture of a polsky fiat yeah where the hell are you going to get that from you know yeah, yeah. Well, i've got the polsky, but uh, you know so so um in a way with my pictures my time has come because i didn't i i never meant to have this amazing collection that's that's as accessible as it is but I, now it's actually very difficult to get a yeah. lot of material so you um as you as you may know with books if, there's absolutely no chance you're going to get a book printed or published if it's about cars and a bit specialist unless you can sort all the pictures out yeah uh, that's what, a hell of a job for somebody you know yeah really if they don't yeah. know where, if they don't know where to get them from you know oh my god it's just awful yeah one thing you, uh, I, I, I don't know if it's come from your um, personal archive, but you posted something on uh, Twitter today that I think perhaps demonstrates the depth of um, 
sort of what's out there you posted a picture of a um modified uh wooden picket uh peugeot 205 gti that had what was it a fax machine in it in the footwell of the passenger seat yeah (laughs) i mean was that out your personal archive yeah i was just sorting through some stuff um a couple of days ago and i came across it and i just um you know how it is, you know, a picture from a long time ago that you you might not have even really looked at properly, mm. properly suddenly stops you in your tracks. And I just looked at that interior and thought, oh, my God, what a mess. You yeah. Know, but that must have been, on the day that picture was taken, it must have been the coolest car ever. You Maybe. Know, with, you could actually get facts while you were driving along. Think of the excitement. <laughs> <laughs> The the thought occurred to me, I wonder if anyone actually bought one or if it was just like a one-off they did. Well, they weren't the first uh, company to do a model like that. Jensen did a a package in the late 60s called the Executive and that had a little typewriter that would would come out of the glove box and had, and instead of having, um, well, obviously there was no fax machine, but it had a sort of dictaphone as well with a sort of... (laughs) a mic that I think came down from the roof so that you could shout your memos to yeah. your secretary as you, you know, doing 140 along the M6. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So they, they've been, mobile offices have been around for a while. You know, this sort of fantasy of, of, of wanting to do clerical work on the move. I've never really understood it myself. <laughs> yeah. There's that um, uh, Noel Edmonds um, Range Rover that keeps popping up for sale it did been for sale a few times in the last few years that he turned into a mobile office in the late 90s that's basically phone computer fact yeah now it's all on your smartphone um and this thing costs i think it was like 400 grand when it was new um and like 18 months ago it sold for about 15 but yeah it it's an it's an interesting historical artifact but it's pretty much useless these days yes <laughs> uh, well i put that picture on there i just i just thought uh, this is a fun thing that you know no one else is going to see unless i unless i just post it and um i did think of putting noel you know putting the noel edmonds wording uh, along with the tweet but i I just didn't think anyone would know who he was. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I think I had um, uh, a late 90s uh, Range Rover or uh, sort of Land Rover autobiography um, uh, brochure that I picked up at a motor show or somewhere, autobiography being um, Land Rover's sort of bespoke arm at the time. Um, you know, it's become SVO now. Um, and that that had a spread in it um, full of you know the, the possibilities for turning your Range Rover into an office. I don't think it was the Noel Edmonds one featured in it, but you know that there was like two phones in the back and uh, a laptop built into the picnic table and all that sort of stuff. It would yeah, but they they really tried to sell that kind of thing. Whether or not they actually did is another matter. Well, these kind of these kind of things that you're highlighting, they they um, they do interest me because although though these sort of little tech packages, primitive tech packages in these cars would have been you know a bit of a, a showstopper at the time, mm. um, it, it's often things that that are very very ordinary that then vanish that that I find you know sort of 
so satisfying. And I, you know, I can, I can think this even about certain types of vans mm. that, you know, you know, those, you know, those comma vans where the wheels are tucked right underneath. Yeah. You know the thing I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And they were, they were, they were the thing that BT had, you know, in the early days of the sort of the, the, the BT logo on the sort yeah. of yellow work. And that was the standard van and they mm. were everywhere. And, and um, if you saw one now, you'd just think, oh my God, what is that? What is that bizarre looking thing? Yeah. You know, they, they, they were so common. And I, I, um, I, I love in, in some of the work I do, you know, dredging up this stuff and sort of going, oh, by the way, look at this. Yeah. <laughs> do you remember these? Um, and a lot, a lot just disappears. Yeah, there was a conversation on uh, Twitter a couple of weeks ago. Um, Hubnut, uh, Ian Seabrook, uh, posted a picture, I think a, a brochure he has, um, of a Nissan Ebro brochure. Um, That's a Spanish truck, isn't it? Yeah, well, the, 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 I think Nissan owned or owns Ebro. Um, it's a Spanish truck manufacturer, and there was a Spanish Ebro van that was sold in the UK under the Nissan badge, probably for about five minutes. Um, and I mean, you know, it, it was, I think it was sold in sort of 85, 86, which, you know, I, I was born in 84. So theoretically I should be able to remember them if they right. were around, but <laughs> absolutely, absolutely no recollection of them. Um, and this sparked quite an interesting conversation around um, commercials, particularly of things that you used to see everywhere um, and have just disappeared. And the comma van um, was, was one of them. Um, a lot of other people highlighted like the Ford cargo and that sort of thing. Um, and that, that is, I'll, I'll come back to the point that that's one of the things I, I like about um, reading uh, your books is you know th these days it is really now a case of when was the last time you saw these things because you know you you only have to go sort of to the to the early 2000s now to cars that you just don't see anymore and it just it seems like there's more and more of them perhaps you know in the last 30 years cars of uh, car manufacturers have had much bigger ranges uh, than they yes. historically did um but yeah, there's just so much out there that you just don't see anymore. And it, you know, you, I tend not to think about vans, but when you start thinking about vans, you know, <laughs> basically everything that was launched before 2000, you just don't see it anymore. And it's rapidly yeah. becoming the case with cars. And the only place you can really see them is in your books now. Well, thank you. But I mean, I, I, uh, I feel the same about not just cars, and vehicles but the roadscape itself yeah I mean, you you don't really see family-owned car dealers anymore no they're all zoomed into areas near the near the bowling alley and the sort of frankie and benny's sort of on the edge of town yeah it's, it's quite unusual to see a showroom in a town with with somebody's family name on the front yeah you know? and i think it will become it become quite unusual to see things like parking meters you know you will you will just respond to a um you know a little a code reader somewhere mm. and and they won't have all this metal from which coins have to be emptied every day yeah so it's 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 stuff like that you know and i think it started a little bit when um you know petrol stations stopped doing stop putting the cup putting the fuel in your car for you yeah you know, that was the 
that was the sort of the beginning of of, of things really changing and, and you know obviously the future is going to be very interesting because i i wonder whether you know it'll be uh, the default will be non-car ownership and if, yeah. if you're not a car owner then you've got more garden mm. and you've got more room in your house and you know you you your, your whole and also are you you know are you bothered and if, if you dial up a, an autonomous vehicle wouldn't you rather have it branded hilton than yeah. hyundai because you know you'd like some crushed velour and you know a little ice bucket and so on rather than sort of um stupid sweepy dashboard yeah um so you know th i think i think we we're 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 still we are these little figures on a sort of ever-changing uh, roadscape and um it's it you know the, the pace of change now you know we i, I think we we feel cars have been in slow evolution since the sort of 60s and so on but i, I think things are changing at a, as fast as the you know the the time of just before the austin seven let's say yeah you know because before the austin seven there was no second-hand cars mm. they didn't exist um they were all owned by toffs and aristocrats and and uh, you know the, the the proles got out of the way quickly or got or got run over um, so you, the only way you could buy a new car was to was was to buy a new car. You couldn't mm. have one that somebody already sort of finished with. Um, so you know that was a period of amazing change. You, know, you think you think of the growth of suburbs and so on. Sorry, I am just I am just waffling here. No, no, okay, but, uh, carry, carry on, carry on. To me, as as you can probably tell by the fact I can go down just about any rabbit hole on this stuff. There's just everywhere. There's so much that is interesting. Yeah, and. Um, uh, <laughs> and I get quite carried away. <laughs> well, I mean, this this is the thing I think a lot of um, uh, uh, sort of non-car people don't don't appreciate. I mean, um, yeah, the, 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 they they see cars as as a box with wheels, um, but the, the, I guess they they just don't appreciate that the the machinery itself no matter how sort of apparently boring it is um there's always something to say about it there's always some sort of story behind it um and mm. likewise as you, as 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 you say cars are cars have have been um such an integral part of our life and culture and our landscape for the past 50 60 70 80 years um that that the, there's there's just so much there that's interesting um even perhaps if you're not necessarily interested about the cars themselves because there's all the other issues and 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 topics that around them as well mm -hmm. yes i think you're absolutely right and that that can include you know subjects like like car safety mm. you know if you look at a sort of time timeline of car safety um it's it's just fascinating how um external factors impact and you know i mean the, the obviously the the first and the first thing is nothing is nothing to do with seat belts or uh, airbags or anything like that but it, it's actually just having laminated windscreens yeah you know, can you imagine a time before laminated windscreens i mean that is 
they, they often say that in order to be a safe driver, you should drive along with a spike sticking right out of the center of the steering wheel right <laughs> on your chest. Yeah. You never have a crash. But, uh, you know, Im imagine you know, if you've ever seen a window shatter, imagine yeah. Christ, it doesn't, it doesn't bear thinking about, does it? So, yeah. you know, the, a lot of the safety stuff in cars is, is actually um, you know, it's, it, in, an interesting and integral part of um, uh, the, the evolution of, of cars and motoring and so on. And I find it amazing now that Americans feel that it's a civil liberties issue not to wear the seatbelt. Yeah, I just, I just can't get my head around that. When, when the, the the data and the, the 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 data proves it's essential to do it, and and the science of you know starting with Neil Spolin in the late the late fifties with Volvo, and then all mm. the all the developments since the 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 um, uh, uh, you know proper crossover seatbelts in the back, um, airbags, all the rest of it. You know, it's sort of um. Uh, it, it, to me, you know, that's all. That's all quite interesting. I, I know it's. I know it's hugely unsexy, and you're never going to see, a, you know, an article about, um, you know, driving cars into concrete blocks at thirty miles an hour in auto car. <laughs> but you know, uh, who couldn't be fascinated to see that slowed slowed down footage? Yeah. And then you know how that then has fed into the, you know, the design of cars, which you know, which are still fast and sexy and interesting. Uh, mm. It's just that um, they managed to pack so much in. Um, because of because of so many external factors to do with society. Yeah, um, you know the, all these subjects. It's like walking into a into a into a room, isn't it? And it turning out to be an enormous hall. Every everything is the Albert Hall of info. I find. <laughs> mm, yeah, that 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 kind of feeds into uh, an, another thing I was uh, going to ask, which is. Um, 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 are you in it? Do you feel like you're in any danger of sort of running out of ideas for new books, or uh, you know, is is it is it just that that there's there's so much ground to cover that it that that it's basically endless? Well, that's a that's a, a very pointed question because I've run out of ideas. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I I find that if I if I haven't got an idea, then that is the that is the best um, imperative to sort of try and get one. Yeah, you know, and I, and, and it, it I'd often have you know quite flat periods when I sort of think, oh, you know, I've done all the things I'm going to do. What what more can I do? How can I? How am I going to be able to find something that is not a retread mm. of stuff I've done? Yeah. Um, you know, I don't want to really write another book of of terrible cars, for example, mm. because I sort of feel feel I've done that. And I, re I, you know, I look at the one I did almost twenty years ago, and some of some of it <laughs> makes me cringe because I sort of now I now know more, I have a different perspective. Perhaps I'm a bit more forgiving, or whatever. Yeah. Um, so, um, and in fact, the book I'm the book I've just finished is is really a um, a, a kind of a big extension of something I, I did about four years ago. I did a book called Britain's Toy Car Wars. Mm. And it was about the uh, never-ending battle between Corgi, Dinky and Matchbox to basically get pocket money out of schoolboys. Yeah. By, uh, you know, they were, they were incredibly bitter rivals. 
steps for you know sort of a, a 50 year period and 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 uh, I, I, I did this book it was really about the competition between them uh, one was based in Liverpool another one in London another one in Wales um, you had the kind of Corgi James Bond versus the dinky Thunderbirds fab mm. one they were sort of you know, a classic uh, a, a classic contest there uh, and the book I brought out I I I wanted it to be a sort of a saga, a story, a, you know, a real sort of thing aimed at aimed at kids a bit like me who had these things when I was little, mm. played with them, never gave them a second thought about where they came from or what the processes were or whatever. And so, so they the book I did 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 quite well and sold out, and now it's quite hard to get. And yeah. so they said, why don't you know we'd like to reprint it? And I said, well, actually, I'd like to do. Um, I'd like to do an expanded one with less pictures and more narrative in it because mm. in the interim, I, you know, I'd met some quite interesting people who'd been designers at these companies or had been the U S importers or whatever. And I had, I had all this um, potential great new interview material that, mm. um, that I, I hadn't got a home for really. So, so the first two, three months this year, I, I was, I was sort of unstitching an old book and then, you know, inserting lots and lots of new stuff to, um, you know, to make a new one. To, to, in my mind, to make it even more of something that you can't get anywhere else. Mm. <laughs> um, so it was a only a half an idea, if you like. And yeah. um, the book, the, the other book I wrote last year, which is about 100 years of Jaguar, that is starting at the sort of sidecars in the 1920s and going up to the I-Pace. I mean... That is a hell of a journey, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Bolt onto a motorbike to an electric car that can do 500 mile range. I mean, it's just incredible. Um, (laughs) And and when they asked me to do that, I was, uh, you know, my, I could, I could feel my um, enthusiasmometer droop because, (laughs) as you can imagine, there have been. God knows how many Jaguar books. I mean, it just talk about a well-trodden path. Yeah. Um, but so I, I had to find a way with that to to uh, make it work for me. And and what I what I thought was um, just because I don't like the E-Pace very much mm. doesn't mean that that's not a quite important part of the Jaguar story. And it, yeah. it is a danger. With a, with a with a sort of a complete history like that that you would you would sort of you'd make out that all the good times were 50 years ago yeah because you you sort of focus on the e-type is the totem of it and then the sort of the xj6 and the um the, the d-type and the mall wins and so on and so on but but actually that's that's only at the halfway point of mm. january you know so so i i i decided to sort of pace the book so that you so that i gave as much um, uh, importance and interest to the Ford era of Jaguar, yeah. you know, owning Jaguar, the, you know, dare I even say, you know, the X type and so on, mm. because a a they are it's just as interesting in its own way, and b obviously there are many more X types around than there are cars from the nineteen fifties. Yeah. So I don't want somebody who owns an X type to pick to pick the book up and then go, oh, this guy's really dismissive about the the three litre V6 I've got outside that I mm. absolutely love, you know, that would be sort of wrong really. So, so it made it, it made it quite an interesting challenge um, uh, because 
you know, no sooner have you sort of started writing about the great days of the Le Mans races in the 50s, then you've got to stop doing that because you're moving on to the next bit. Yeah. <laughs> and that, and that, that I think will, you know, make it a, a different kind of a book to, mm. to what's already been done. Um, I don't know. It's not for me to judge whether, whether it, it works or not. But uh, um, so I, I, in, in that case, I think I really had to find an idea within the idea yeah. to, to try and do it so that it would not be like the stuff that's already around. Yeah. Well, yeah. But at, at the moment, I am just wondering what to do next. <laughs> I, I have got a couple of, of, of sort of thoughts. Um, they, need, they need quite a detailed pitch document that's got to yeah. get over the idea the first two paragraphs that my commissioning editor will go yes that i like that because <laughs> if she saw it, i just don't get this at all and i don't think anyone anyone normal would be interested yeah then i'm not i'm not going to get the gig yeah uh, so well, um <laughs> maybe may maybe a deep dive into the archive will uh will spark some inspiration yes um yeah, I, I mean, I've suggested a few books where, where the emphasis is really just on, on, you know, a lot of interesting archive. And that often meets the, we can't afford that many scans per page, Giles. <laughs> I, note, you know, um, so I don't know. I mean, you know, of, often I think, I think, you know, you just get offered something and then um, that for, a, for a, the sort of books I write, often if somebody, if somebody finds you and gets you to do the book then they they also have a bit of ownership of it and mm. it makes it easier to to make the whole thing happen because the, you know the process can take two years yeah from beginning to end it's a very slow thing compared to you know the speed of posting online or even working for a weekly yeah and um you you need you do need uh, buy-in from whoever you're working for because you know promoting it and selling it is is quite an important aspect yeah and uh uh, uh the, the the book i did the book i did called cars on Fi cars on film that was really my my collection of old film stills that i've, I've been hoarding for decades so yeah. in book form and uh, when when that or went to the publishing company. Some, one of the sales guys who has to trog around all the bookshops flogging paper all, all, all week. He went, oh, yeah, great. Back to the Future, that's my favourite film. And I just thought, oh, not that one. But obviously, if we didn't then put that on the cover, you know, because that was his, that was his immediate reaction to it. Yeah. Uh, we were missing something. So, um, you know, not for the first time in my life, I, I did grudgingly... Um, except that the, the, uh, the collaborative uh, uh, nature of these things, you know, you, you, your first reaction might be one of, I don't want to do it like that. Yeah. It's often, it's often beneficial to have those, those influences coming in, you know, because Graham, as you can imagine, you spend a lot of time on your own with the subject when you do this kind of thing. Oh yeah. You, you have to shut the door, not talk to anyone, not going to the garage, mess around, look on eBay, anything. You just got to sit there and, and write it. And it's, mm. um, um, I'm not complaining about it because it's, it's, it's my, I've made my own destiny, but, but it, it is, um, once you've sort of signed up for something, you, you've got to, 
you've got to produce it. So you've got to you've got to know that it's something you will enjoy that process of. Yeah. Otherwise, it's going to be one hell of an awful time for you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well. Yeah. I. I. I mean, per- personally, um, I actually um, find. Uh, I. I often find writing quite difficult. I think all writers do. I think there's this perception that. Yeah, writing's supposed to be easy, and it you know it it just flows out of your fingers. Um, and uh, if that doesn't happen, then you're not a particularly good writer. But I've always found um, that you know my my best work has never come easy. Um, and sometimes, yeah. and you know, so, sometimes it is that you know you you just have to sort of shut yourself away and hammer away at it until you find a way of putting it that works. Yeah, well, I mean, I've, I've, because of being in media all these years, I've, I've had some, uh, you know, my first editor on Classic and Sports Car was a lovely guy called Mark Hughes. Mm. And um, he, uh, you know, he used to throw the work at me. And, you know, when you, when you start on a, on a car magazine, you, you you ain't going to be writing the cover story. No, you know you'd be do, you'd be doing all the shit basically. <laughs> <laughs> Contents page, editing readers' letters, uh, possibly dealing with some very grumpy columnists and contributors who no one else wants to speak to because they're such a pain in the ass. <laughs> but they're essential to the magazine. You know, finding pictures. It'll be all the sort of grunt work. Yeah. And, um, I had to do all that stuff when I started because I'd worked for a car industry consultant. I started when I was 18 working for this guy and he was a sort of um, industry middleman. And I looked after his library for him and I was just a glorified office boy, really. Mm. Um, And I used to send in a few articles to magazines that I wrote at the weekends uh, Mm. just on spec. And I I had a couple accepted in in classic and sports car, actually. Um, I mean, I, I just hate to read them now. They're probably awful. Um, <laughs> I, th- I think I, 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 well, I didn't realise this at the time because I was just doing my own thing. But um, I must, I, I am one of few people who actually probably just did something in the style of the magazine that was the right length, mm. had some pictures for it, and then they could use it just like that. Yeah. And. When, when they then offered me a job there as the, uh, you know, the editorial assistant, um, uh, you know, one of the things I, I then saw it airside, if you like, because I was then looking at all the people who used to pitch to us all the time. They used to ring us up or they used to send in stuff on spec. Yeah. And 95% of it was total crap. I mean, yeah. you know, people would send in poetry about classic cars. Well, we didn't publish poetry or they'd send in, a 12,000 word article about, um, you know, the Jarrett Javelin. But yeah. all our features are only about 1,500 words long. So, you know, you just, you, I quickly understood that, that, that most people, that most people can't, can't get it. And that, that by whatever reason I was unusual, I think I was the first person they'd ever taken on for a specific role, all the other people had been, you know, these kind of vintage and sports racing people from the sort of 60s and 70s who've been doing it for ages, you know, the, the Doug Nyes and the uh, Mike McCarthy's and so on. They'd sort of evolved yeah. into it. 
and I think I was the first guy who they just said we need another pair of hands and he <laughs> he's got to do all the boring stuff and still know everything about cars yeah <laughs> so uh so so what I'm getting what I'm making my way towards here is that, is that I I start at the beginning and, and a lot of the sort of work that I was given to work on sub-editing you mm. know the editor would just say here's a piece um, I think we just get rid of the first page because it's terrible and then it really starts in paragraph two or he'd mm. say cut that intro right down because it's really waffly or you know half of this is okay or whatever and you know often these were from writers that um, as far as I was concerned as a 19 year old you know wide-eyed newcomer they were they were sort of some of the big names that mm. i've been <laughs> for years and i saw the state of their work before we actually got <laughs> to pay you know i mean of course no names and they're they a lot of them are very nice people but my god do they you know a lot of a lot of the writers can't write okay yeah so so and, and the work that was entailed to make it useful. So I only feel in a way that I'm good at it because I've been, I've been in and around all this stuff for so long that I can immediately, uh, you know, I can write an opening paragraph quite quickly because I used to have to do it quickly. Yeah. And you, you know, you just learn really um, uh, how to do it. So, 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 you know, my writing is, is, it's not difficult. It's not difficult to do it, but it can just be a bit difficult to, sustain as a daily job mm. i mean I, I i don't know what most people do who, who read this but you know your, your work schedule often in, in normal employment is sort of set out for you isn't yeah. it you know you will hit these targets and goals and you'll have an appraisal and so on and with, with with a sort of book thing it's not coming out for 18 months time so it doesn't it doesn't feel like i've got to do it this afternoon yeah <laughs> but i really ought to do a bit of it this week yeah um and, you know, how much of it can I, can I stand doing before I'm going to kind of go, ah! <laughs> yeah. How, ma how many um, uh, sort of bits of writing, di dif different books, articles, whatever, have, have, have you got on the go at once? Are, are you only ever working on one thing at a time? No, I'll usually have, uh, I usually have a couple of books in various states of build. Mm. Uh, and then... I I will um, I might have two or three articles which sort of need to be written at any one time. I would say I, I would say I would say apart from the books thing, I've usually got work for the sort of next sort of three or four weeks ahead, and beyond that, I'm not quite sure because I will be, you know, trying to think of um, trying to think of ideas that I can put to people that they that they're going to give me an instant yes to. Mm. By which I mean, I, you know, one of the magazines I've worked for for years is called Octane. I'm sure you know it. Yep. Um, they have a lot of uh, regular stuff in there. They've got, a, they've got a thing on the back page called The Day in the Life Of. Mm -hmm. It's like a typical thing you get in a Sunday supplement, you know, and it's written in the first person. Yeah. Um, and the magazine's been going for 20 years. You imagine how many, they've used up all the, all the obvious suspects. Yeah. <laughs> So trying to think of things for that, because to my mind, um, you need to have somebody who, who definitely hardly ever sits at a desk for that. Yeah. Because if it's a if it's desk work, no one wants to read about that because they're at work reading Octane under the desk anyway. Yeah. You know, they want, they want to read about somebody who they sort of can close their eyes and go, 
oh my god i wish i was a guy who put pinstripes on the side of rolls royces yeah. all day you know yeah so, i I've, so, I've i've been a subscriber <laughs> to octane since that since it started really you'll, you'll know what i mean then, yeah and the the variety of people um uh, that are on that back page is astonishing i mean recently you you were in there yourself um but um yeah that there's been like um j- just in the last few there's been like um i can't remember which body it was but they're sort of let, let's say the, the the guild of automotive restorers or something um their apprentice of the year um people who run workshops run museums um you know people p- basically anyone who does something interesting around old cars um yes. can feature in that and it sort of comes back to the point that a lot of non-car people don't realize is there's just so much variety in it yes yes but they it's 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 always hard to come up with good candidates mm. so you know i i've been trying to come up with some this week and and i've been looking into I'd like to do one on a chef who works for a Formula One team because they yeah. all have their own catering operations. And I think, I think to sort of dish up for all the mechanics and the drivers and everything, wherever they happen to be around the world, sort of, you know, for them to kind of go, oh my God, not lobsters again. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, will, I will be really enjoying finding that person to, uh, to write about. And, um, I mean, you don't get a huge fee for writing these things, um, and a lot of a lot of thought is involved in sort of conjecture and then looking around to find the, find the right person, and then mm. obviously writing's quite a task because it's in the first person, and it, you you can't just do absolutely just yesterday. It's the yeah. typical day has got to have anecdotes interwoven into it and so on. Yeah. Uh, and there's another one in there called uh, Gone But Not Forgotten, which is, which yeah. is basically a, almost an obituary of someone just, you know, redone. And that's that I've done lots and lots of those. And again, we have done most of the obvious candidates. And mm. it's, um, I'm just about to write one on a guy called uh, Batin, but, but Flaminio Batoni, but not Batone. Right. So Tony, and he is an Italian who uh, responsible for the styling of the Citroen DS, the Citroen Ami, and the Traction Avant yeah. in the 30s. He was actually a sculptor. He wasn't really a car designer at all. He was an extraordinary character. Mm. Um, amazingly, we haven't done him over 20 years and however many outings this thing has had. Yeah. So, um, so. Uh, I, I will have these things where uh, they just require me to to find ideas um, which um, which haven't been done already. And then I might also be working for um, there's a magazine called The Automobile, mm-hmm. you may know, which is mostly about earlier cars. Yeah. And they have a slightly different remit to other magazines. They like long reads. Yeah. So you can write a three or four thousand word story for them, mm. which is a a very big piece of writing you know on the one hand it gives you lots of scope that you can you can add some style to the work Mm. Uh, on the other hand um you've got to read and know so much about the topic yeah quite demanding (laughs) and they really pay badly but i love (laughs) to see (laughs) i love to see my stuff in there because they they as an organization they they cherish 
the work. They, they, mm. they want to do things differently. They want to present it nicely. They want to find good archive pictures. So, um, you know, I think that, as a lot of these things do, that sort of falls into the labour of love category. Yeah. And just every now and again, I get a bit of copywriting work or, or a sort of consultancy for something where um, I don't have to do quite as much writing, but I can, you know, I can bring my um, experience to bear. Mm. And I've done some work on intellectual property rights to do with um, car designs, which was very interesting. Um, I, as I said earlier, sometimes I get brought in as a script doctor on other people's books, which yeah. uh, it's okay. Uh, obviously, the, the, the chances of personality clash are very high mm. because uh, when, when you do that kind of work, it's normally because relations have broken down. <laughs> 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 um, and I, I, I flatter myself by comparing, by comparing that kind of thing to um, Clement and Lafrenet, you know, the guys who wrote Porridge. Right, and, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, and they, 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 they did a lot of work in Hollywood, basically rescuing terrible film scripts and turning them around. Yeah, and uh, I'm not saying I'm not saying that these these books are terrible, but you know, often it's a it's a it's a quite tricky thing where maybe somebody's sponsoring a book on the car because they own it, mm. uh, and they have a, an author, and it you know they they want to produce a certain thing. The author's perhaps a bit too much of a purist, yeah, and deep deep deeply um, embedded in, in the in the nuts and bolts of it, but the book needs to be a thing of beauty and yeah. know, there's a there's a bit of a chasm between that uh, that sort of publishing requirement and the and the um the purist specialist author yeah i don't think I, I don't think i'm going to upset anyone by saying any of this really but you know so, but i enjoy working on those things but yeah they, they, they take it out of you a bit because mm. you feel you're having to touch somebody's work yeah it's taken them many years to do and they are rightly alarmed <laughs> at what, <laughs> what you might do with it. <laughs> yeah. You know, I did, I did a book uh, many years ago. Um, I was actually recovering from an eye operation. So I had to keep my, my head down in the facing downward position for 55 minutes of every hour while, wow. my, while my recovery was going on. And actually, that turned out to be perfect for proofreading type stuff. Yeah. Because I'm just looking down the desk, you know, um, and I had to had to take an Aston Martin book that a guy had spent twenty years doing, yeah. and cut it by a third. Wow! <laughs> oh my god! I mean, he 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 was just somewhere between petrified and livid. This yeah. And uh, you know, I just went through it, and most of the sentences were really loose and sloppy, mm. but it was all there. And uh, you know the, the actual research and the the, the 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 material on the book was fantastic. You know, yeah. What what a what a amazing feat. And um, but I had to go through it line by line, just tightening, tidying, and you know, like a, like a great big bedspread that you you're there with a needle and messing about and so on. Yeah. And he did say to me um, afterwards. Um, he said, "I can't." <laughs> I can't see where you've cut it. <laughs> <laughs> and that was such a lovely thing for him to say because I, I, I didn't, that's what I wanted. Yeah. I didn't want to destroy what he'd done because I could, no way could I have researched like he, ducked, like yeah. he did. But I think I was able to add 
um, my skills to it. So, you know, so that then the book would have, uh, the words on the page would have space to breathe with the pictures. It was going to be on lovely paper and amazing slip case and everything. And, you know, you sort of feel afterwards that you've been part of this process to produce an amazing object. Mm. Do you, do you know what I mean? And yeah, that is yeah. a, that is a very nice thing to do, even though you, your, your name is way down in the credits somewhere. You're just, you know, you're, you're the, you're the electrician's mate or the best boy or the clapper loader. <laughs> and, and credits. Yeah. Um, so I have a bit of that work and you know, that's, um, that's, that the, I, I think truthfully it's what's nice about that is I'm not responsible for the content. That yeah. Somebody else has had to, had to put that together and it's, you know, you feel you can, I can, I can just apply a, skill to it rather than feeling oh my god i'm responsible for the facts the legals the pictures what's going to mm. go on the cover you know that's taken away from me yeah those things so so that that is part of um some of the work i do um i don't know how well i've put that or whether whether anyone no, the, gets the, it yeah <laughs> I, I i follow certainly um okay then well i think we'll uh start uh bringing this uh to a close i've got a bit of a q a uh that i ask uh uh every guest uh yes, so I'm we'll worried. go through we'll go through uh those questions um what was the first car you ever drove however you want to define driving only me in the driving seat I've had some people um, talk about, um, you know, ju- d- their dad was actually driving, but they were sat on the- sat on his lap steering. All right. Well, uh, my parents had some friends around for tea, mm. and they turned up in a very unusual car. I was fourteen, uh, maybe thirteen, it, but fourteen. It was a Suzuki SC100. GX, which is a coupe about about as long as a wheelbarrow, and it's yeah, got that, the engine um, in the back. The, the whiz kid, wasn't it? Also known as that's right, the whiz. Yeah, yeah. And he he just got this like a couple of weeks before, and he went into the um, uh, living room with my parents to have tea and cake, mm. and I said, "Cool, you got a whiz kid. Can I go and have a look at it?" And he just tossed me the keys. He said, "There you go. He says, start it up if you like." <laughs> <laughs> so. I, I then um, did get into the car and sort of, you know, uh, sort of felt all the controls and, uh, you know, had the gear lever in my hand and all the rest of it. And then I thought, well, I will start the engine. And then as I never actually driven anything, I thought I'll just try and press the clutch and get it into first. Mm. And uh, so I, I did that and then into reverse a couple of times up, up and down our little lane where we lived. Yeah. And then... Um, having got nice and bold about it, I then got it into second, stalled it, put it into the hedge and <laughs> scratched the pane. No, and it was no. an awful hedge. Put really deep scratches into the sort of uh, metallic silver of this car on one of the corners. Yeah. And it was just awful. So that was yeah. my first my first time uh, doing that. Um, and then I, I, I think I, I think my um, I think my mum let me drive. We had a Wolseley 440 you kids won't know what that is Wolseley four foot 1950s sort of bmc thing what wasn't it also the the riley pathfinder was that the same thing it's also the mg magnet yes but it had a a terrible tiny little engine in it and that was uh, that was my grandmother's car that was passed down to my dad and uh, i think i i think i got to drive that around uh, our local airfield a few times Mm -hmm. um 
So I, I hated that car so much because <laughs> where I was at school, all my, all my um, schoolmates' parents had things like Triumph 2500 S's. Yeah. And I think one dad had a TVR Vixen or something. Wow. He was. Whereas I had to go to school in this bloody Wolseley. It was just so <laughs> embarrassing. So, um, when I was old enough, I just used to say to my mum, can you just drop me around the corner, please? Yeah. I don't want anyone to see it. <laughs> <laughs> um, where are your favourite roads? Well, uh, I knew you were going to ask me this because uh, because I listened to the to the last uh, podcast you did with Nathan, mm. and he had a very I think he had a very erudite uh, and fascinating answer to that. Uh, and to me, I, I I can't say it's a specific road, but I. Um, as a little boy, I grew up in Grimsby, which is on the East Coast. Mm-hmm. And my grandparents lived in Cumbria. And so there were, there's sort of several ways to get there. You can sort of go up the A1 and across the, the A66, or you could sort of get you, pick your way through Yorkshire and go up the M1 and so on. But the, um, all the roads getting towards Cumbria are very wild. Mm. And uh, um, when I was then driving later myself, I used to, I used to enjoy being alone in my car on, on roads like the A66, or sometimes, have you heard of Champ, you know, on, on, yeah. on the N6, that really, yeah. really steep bit. Just, I know it's just a bit of motorway, just going up a steep bank, mm. but um, uh, it's very, very atmospheric up there. And, yeah. and then to sort of have to peel off the main roads and sort of head towards where my grandparents lived, literally in the middle of nowhere, north of Carlisle. Mm. Um, I, I, like, I like those sort of, all that sort of roadscape because it, it seems like um you know you go off into into places that no one really talks about or really goes to yeah um whether they're whether they're amazing driving roads i mean i'm you know i'm i'm no steve suckliffe mm. <laughs> so i i won't be going around any corners on door handles uh but uh there's just uh there's sort of there's sort of evil skies and and threatening weather and yeah. uh uh, a whole lot of sort of um, just not the southeast mm. about that part of the world. It's it's a long way from everything, and uh, you know I always en- enjoyed uh, you know go- going back to see them when they were very old and sort of then making my making my way through this landscape where previously I'd always been driven you know in the back of the car. Yeah. Uh, when I could sort of when I was driving the car, I used to find that you know very very sort of enjoyable. It didn't really matter what car it was I was going in. Never, yeah. Inevitably, it wasn't anything very exciting. Um, but you know, to, to sort of be alone driving in that part of the world, you really feel like for this crowded country, you've gone somewhere that is a long way from everything and everyone. And yeah, there's you can drive a a long time without encountering another vehicle. And, yeah, you know enjoy that so yeah. i mean i know that's probably not the answer you wanted <laughs> no it it it, I, it it's uh, it, it's a good answer it's a good answer uh, i that i i don't really know that part of the world at all and I, it's one of those places i think i should uh, i should get to part partly because as you as you, as you say you, you know even though it's within quite a crowded country you feel like you're genuinely in the middle of nowhere Yes, yeah. I mean, it's sort of um, uh, it, it's 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 an interesting experience if you if you enjoy you know the landscapes mm. as you sort of thread through them, you know yourself at the wheel if you like. Yeah. 
Um, I, I remember once having a girlfriend in Liverpool, uh, who went to Liverpool University, and we drove to my grandparents in her Triumph Herald, which she yeah. drove. And uh, we went up the M6, and there was a blizzard, and this thing, you can imagine how sophisticated a Triumph Herald is. Yeah. It was just everywhere. I mean, she, she just, whatever she did, she spun it. Um, <laughs> there were vehicles all over the road, and there sort of trucks crashing and so on. Anyway, we, we made our sort of plodding progress. But, you know, she's sort of in tears, and I, nothing mm. I could do to help. And by the time we actually got to my grandparents' house, the sun was out. Yeah, as though this was never happened. We were three hours <laughs> late. You know, it's that thing where you sort of go, "Oh my God, you should have seen the snowstorm." <laughs> like, what snowstorm? Like sunshine. <laughs> so, uh, that was a fun day. Yeah. Um, what is your favourite film with cars in it? Not necessarily a car film, but film with cars in it. Now, are you sure you want to ask me this, having done a book called Cars on Film? I mean, you can try and keep it brief. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, um, ah, yes, it's very, very difficult because, uh, you know, I've been, uh, I've been immersed in, in all the pictures uh, taken from a lot of these movies. And mm. um, often things uh, have a... Uh, you know, fairly fleeting appearance. I, yeah. mean, I, I don't think I could say, you know, the Italian job or anything like that, um, because I've seen it so many times. You know, I yeah. sort of, like, know every frame. Really. Mm. Um, I, 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 I think it would be uh, um, probably it's going to be like most British B movies from. 1965 to 1982, including all the soft porn ones. <laughs> so anything that's got, to, you know, an XJ6, an Interceptor, a Silver Shadow, a Mini yeah. Cooper, uh, but not the Italian job, obviously. Yeah. Um, a Range Rover. I mean, I, I love a movie called Callan. I don't know if you've ever seen that. Never heard of it. Callan was a was a, uh, a 1970s. Uh, 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 intelligence service drama with Edward Woodward in it. Mm -hmm. And he plays this, he plays this quite down at, down at, uh, down at heel guy in a world full of sort of posh MI6 people. Mm -hmm. um, and he has to catch some villain who's, who's in an S type and he gets a, he gets a Range Rover, two door Range Rover to basically head, head the other bloke off at the pass because he's mm. going to go, across fields and through farmyards to sort of yeah. take shortcuts to sort of try and get this other guy. Uh, and um, it, 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 it's of that sort of genre of things that were on the TV as well, things like the Sweeney and, and, and a lot of those sort of gangster films uh, mm. of that period where, you know, they, they, they always use Jags. Yeah. And the reason they used Jags was because most of the stunt drivers were former bank robbers themselves. <laughs> <laughs> And there's, there's one character called Peter Braham and he's he's credited as a stunt driver in so many of these movies. And, you, you know, you just know that the you know, that the producers would get Peter in and they'd say to him, what should we use for this getaway or for this heist or whatever? And it would always be S types, S XJ sixes and so yeah. on, you know, because he knew how to handle those cars from his naughty boy days. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So you know, you, you knew that at the end, at the end of it, they're always going to get destroyed. Yeah. Uh, but but um, and you would never, you know, you'd never see the actor at the wheel because it would always be a stuntman with a wig on, so on and so on. But you yeah. know, he he knew 
the, the fluidity with which the stunt drivers knew those cars to to get that sort of um, slightly buttock clenching action onto yeah. the screen. Uh, it kind of defines a whole genre of uh, you know movies and TV shows of that time. And of course, in those days, you could you could you could film on the highway. Mm. You know, nowadays, I think to sort of seek permission to do um, a, a getaway chase in South London, you'd, you'd never get permission to do that. No, and they but... just they just used to really um, uh, push the limits of what you could do on the public roads for yeah. cinematic effect. Yeah, you know, the... I, I love to see. Yeah, these days you need sure. like the you need a budget on the scale of a Fast and Furious film to close down central London to film a car chase. Of course, I mean, and, in, and, in, and you know, in, in the states and within what Hollywood stunt drivers know, there's so much more space over there, isn't there? Yeah, there's so many places you can go to do things where you're not going to be disturbed. You know, as as we all know, if we've watched Breaking Bad, I mean, my God, the locations and, yeah. and what they could do in the locations are just phenomenal. You couldn't really do that you know somewhere in Berkshire could you because you know the, you'd be moved on yeah so, so there was that period of, of I think where they had they had much more nimble camera equipment and they, they had the cars they had the stunt guys yeah and they you know had, they had the sort of the villainous scripts there's a there's a whole genre around that which uh, which I really like seeing and really it's only a you know a matter of a, a few minutes per movie or per show but you, yeah you always, you always sort of think oh there's a there's a there's a 420G in the background of this shot. I bet that's going to be destroyed within about 15 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I like. Um, I mean, the, you can you can get sucked down a YouTube wormhole fairly easily. I I just spent ages oh, looking yeah. up um, uh, the car chases from like 70s and early 80s European films. Um, often done by um, Remy Julian, um, just because you know that the, the, they're using Fiat One Two Fours, Renault Fives, um, you know, Opal Records, you know, really prosaic stuff, and they're just doing utterly ludicrous things with them, um, and they seem to be doing them sort of among the general public, just like normal yes. traffic on yes. the road, pedestrians on pedestrians on the pavements um i so know what you mean i've 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 watched some of those films and you look at it and you go that is not a film set clearly no. civilian that's yeah. just that's just a sort of suburban dual carriageway yeah they're doing this yeah i know they are they are amazing i mean they, those those things i don't know there's they they do suffer from a little bit of um uh, continuity uh, yes issues from time <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, I know I've seen one of those things, and it might be the film you're talking about with an Opal record in it. If it's the one where the Opal record loses its roof, um, I think it's pursuing a, a '50s. It's like a Plymouth Fury or something. Yeah, this is quite a well-known clip. I mean, anyone can can pop this on YouTube. And I, I think, um, I think the car changes from a two to a four-door car within the scope of the chase. Yeah, it's it's because they must have. <laughs> They must have just wrecked it, you know, to, <laughs> well, destroyed it completely, and then just think, "Oh my God, we need another one." So yeah, yeah I mean, I love all that kind of thing. I, I'm not really sure um, if I could bear to watch the whole film because I bet the actual, I... you know, dialogue and all that. Yeah, they're, they're probably terrible, but you know, it's it, it's just the atmosphere of them. One film I um, 
really liked from a, from a sort of car perspective. It's not terribly well known over here. Um, it's a, it's a two volume French film called Mayrine, um, about a French gangster who was killed in the who was um, killed in the early eighties um, under okay. very controversial circumstances, um, and a lot of it takes place in Paris, um, and um, you know it was it was made sort of fifteen years ago, something like that. The attention to detail with the uh, filling Paris streets with cars from the with the right cars um, is absolutely astonishing. It really creates the atmosphere. There's all sorts of stuff in there you, that, that you wouldn't even have thought of. Um, I yeah. distinctly remember seeing a <laughs> Renault 14 um, parked, parked, parked in one shot. Yes. Um, yeah. But that you, you oh, really got to have... To find that. Sorry? There goes my evening trying to find that. <laughs> but th- there's there's one particular shot. The the trouble with um, doing this now is you've really got to have your 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 eye out because there's one shot where there's um, uh, both sides of the street lined with you know seventies and eighties European cars, and then yes. just at the back of the shot you can make out the back of a Ford Ka. It's just so close, just completely ruined it by, you know, having a car that's sort of 20 years too young. It was probably someone, a member of the public, had just pulled up and parked there without realising what was going on and security hadn't managed to flush them out. <laughs> well, you know, um, as you probably know from Withnail and I, you can't, you, can't let, you can't let that sort of thing ruin a good movie, can you? Because in the yeah. very last bit, that you know that when they when they come back to london in the jag yeah it's like full of 80s cars so um uh yeah well i mean you know this this was this was something i i really enjoyed doing with my cars on film book because i was i really started with just the stills from those mm. and uh so inevitably i had to i had to sit through uh well not sit through enjoy an awful lot of clips um you know thank god for youtube because you can yeah. call up all everything and um uh you know but what i have come to the conclusion of is that most films where there's a lot of car tend to be the sort of films that your wife won't want to watch because they're awful <laughs> yeah <laughs> definitely oh dear um okay is there uh, is there one car that you don't get um well i it would be very, very uh, tough for me to say that there is. I think. Um, I, I, I mean, I, I as a genre, I, 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 I find these sort of gigantic, uh, expensive SUVs of today mm. are, are so laughable. And the one that the one that uh, it, it, I mean. This question is, is very interesting. I, I would get most stuff, and there's one car, who's, uh, one SUV, whose design I think is extremely uh, well thought of and rounded and beautifully proportioned and a wonderful piece of car design, and it's the Volvo XC90. Yeah. Now, if you ever have the misfortune to travel either behind or near one of these vehicles, uh, the people who drive them <laughs> shouldn't be allowed to do so. They, they, they can't afford to maintain them. 
because that is it's the classic tank isn't it that that, yeah. that that depreciates so strongly because of the maintenance costs that it's it's in the sort of hands of people who just don't bother to check if the lights work anymore yeah and so it's 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 a kind of and i i've interviewed peter Horbury, the guy who designed that and you know he talked me through the design and it's a it's a very it's a very nice piece of car design mm. i just can't stand it on the roads yeah in any way shape or form and so that that is, is something where I, you know, I, I, I've got a bit of a, a conflict here. You know, how can I appreciate the design but not like it in real life? Mm. And so, uh, so, so that, and I, you know, I, I put sort of Q, Q, Q7s in there as well. These, yeah. these things, they're, uh, they're atrocious. And I mean, they are, they're, they're adverts for, you know, getting rid of the, the internal combustion engine and, and, and sort of, fucking up the planet as we as we are doing yeah. those things so you know I'm, I'm 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 knocking on and i and i i want uh, i want my garden to be uh you know in as fine form as my as my car <laughs> and, and when i, I sort of see those they 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 they're, they're toe curlers really. yeah but yet i can stand back and admire them yeah at the same time so yeah i i mean I, I I completely get it. I mean, I, I, I like quite a lot of these SUVs as machines, but I mean, I live in an area where they're, you know, Q, X5s, Q7s, XC90s um, with massive wheels and exhaust sort up the tailgate um, are 10 a penny. Yes. Yes. Yeah, they're just they're just not looked after properly, and, uh... I mean, and something else that, that I'm increasingly uh, and this might just be a sign of age. I'm not sure, but uh, but it, it possibly comes from working with uh, DK, which is one of the publishers I work for. Yeah. I've done a couple of uh, big reference general reference books about cars for them, and it's very interesting to work with them because they they are they are driven by uh, what what people respond to on the page so you, you work into a dk design of book and that's their way of working mm. so they asked me to do some cars to feature and i think i i think i was going through some of the sort of supercars 70s 80s 90s 2000s and so on and, and mm. in a minute somebody said well, we don't want we don't want this ferrari and this lamborghini and this mclaren because they all look the same yeah and of course they're absolutely right and i, I think one of the most underwhelming uh, recent launches is probably that new maserati you know, is it the MC90? Uh, MC20, I think it's called. Sorry, sorry, excuse my ignorance. But, you know, I, I, I find that there's a sort of, the Zagato factor is missing from the world yeah. of supercars. Uh, clearly, the, 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 the drivetrain and the frame of the car is basically pretty much the same for everything. Mm. And there's only a limited way you can make it look different. So there's a, uh, you know, increasingly supercars are coming out and they, they don't have the wow factor that the early Countach had. Yeah. It, it's, and, and you listen to, a, listen to somebody outside of our world of, of you know, foaming car people and, and they put their finger on it. it they all look, they look alike, you know. They, yeah. In this, in this case, you know, I, I, think, I think I showed them a picture of the Morgan Aero 8 and somebody went, oh, yeah, nothing else looks like that. Yeah. And, um, you know, that, that to me is quite interesting because I, I think there are certain cars, you know, the, the Mark 1 audi tt for example nothing else looks like that mm. i'm sure you'll agree with me you know, even, yeah, the, even the mark II version doesn't look anything like as good and so that is going to be uh, to me something that will give it 
timeless classic status. And I, and I, I think for a lot of these supercars, that they're sort of becoming a bit sort of a bit so what really? You know, because yeah. there's, there's, there's only so much you can do with the shape. Yeah, we're probably not going to be swooning over, uh, I don't know, the McLaren 12C in 50 years, the same way we are, you know, swooning over the McLaren F1, for instance. Well, I'm sure they are all very nice cars. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, if you can afford them. Um, and uh, finally, uh, one car to keep forever. Oh, um, yeah, it's going to be either Bristol 411. Ooh. Because uh, I think I sort of enjoy the, um, I enjoy the sort of handmade anonymity of that, but it's still mm. a very... Uh, the only problem with, with, with those cars is I think that they're, they're quite badly made no matter what right. Bristol used to say. Yeah. So you, you probably need to spend a fortune on making sure that, you know, you've rebuilt it and redesigned it on the inside so that it's going to, going to be working. Um, but, I, you know, I like, um, I, I like, I like uh, Range Rover Classics. So, mm. um, and I've got one. And uh, if, if, I could, if I could work out a way to sort of house it forever, then, I, you know, I just love early Range Rovers. So there you go. You see, I'm I'm criticising SUVs while actually owning one of them. So what a hypocrite! Yeah, I'm not entirely <laughs> sure. I'm not entirely sure a uh, Range Rover Classic actually counts as an SUV. It it, it it's an off roader. It might be a, it might be a posh one, but it's definitely an off roader. Yes, well, yes. So I probably I probably live in the past a little bit with, with these things. Um, uh, it's a very difficult question, and that, that's uh, that's that is a bit like saying, "What's your favourite car?" Isn't it? Yeah, it's, the answer would be one and the same. And you know, I, you know, I just I just love I love them all, and and often the the more humble, the better. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree on that one. Um, okay, then, so we'll uh, bring it to a close there, I think. And I'd uh, like to say thanks to my guest, Giles Chapman. Uh, where can people find you on social media and that kind of thing? Uh, well, I'm on uh, at Chapman on Cars on Twitter, um, which is really the social media that I do uh, to um, make uh, a, a playful comments about this, that and the other and post the odd picture. And, um, you know, most of my books are on my author page on Amazon. Um, uh, also available in Google when's Shops the uh, When's the Jaguar one out? Well, that will be out uh, sort of late summer, I would say. Uh, it's the American, it's an American publisher, so I'm not quite sure when it will be in the British shops. But uh, it's, it's in preparation for 2022 being, you know, a century since they made the first sidecar basically. So right. uh, in, in time for that. Uh, I'm, I'm just, I mean, it's a go, going through the pages and, and the proofs for this and making sure I've got all the right pictures in and so on has been uh, quite a task. So I think we're just, we've just about nailed it really. Um, and uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think, I think people will like it if they, if they, if they have the time to, read it <laughs> <laughs> okay. not, just look at the page <laughs> okay well you can find me on twitter at headbolt uh please 
leave a comment and rating and whatever it is you do on uh, whichever platform you're listening to this on. And please do join me again uh, next week when I'll be talking to someone else. I'm not entirely sure at this stage, but it'll definitely be someone. Uh, thanks for listening. <laughs>